Welcome to the Goalie Hacks podcast, the show dedicated to providing elite tips, hacks, and strategies to take your game to the next level, where we help you become an elite goaltender, one hack at a time. And now, here's your host, Mike Santaguida. All right, bang, bang, everyone, and we're back. And thank you for tuning back into the Goalie Hacks audio experience. Your boy here, Mike Santaguida, joining you all lovely hacktivists out there for another week on the show. And, uh, you know, it's funny, we moved to a bi-weekly schedule on the show, as you all know. Um, but amazingly enough, uh, our downloads have not only stayed constant week to week, uh, but they've actually gone up at times. And, uh, you know, I just want to say once again how grateful I am for everyone tuning in every episode we drop. And, and I hope this, you know, small slowdown has allowed you to backtrack really in the massive library we have with, uh, you know, over 150 hours of next level goalie development content to help you catapult your career going forward so i hope the beginning of the season is getting off to a hot start for everybody uh but today on the show you know we have an awesome guest and that's richard bachman a former prep college and, and pro standout nhl and ahl veteran uh turned nhl goalie coach now in minnesota system and uh, he recently just retired from playing at the next level for so long and is right in the thick of starting his next chapter, coaching at the, le- the next level now. Uh, and Richard dives super deep into uh, just a ton of detail into peeling back all the layers, you know, and how to be successful from prep to college to pro. Uh, a lot of skills that are transferable from those levels all the way up to the NHL level. Um, and the secrets really and the most important underlying factors uh, that can help you be successful and make a run at the NHL level. Uh, and I was super grateful to have Richard on as I remember growing up watching him play plenty. And uh, it was a pleasure to meet him and chat some goalie development. And I know you guys are going to love this one today. So without further ado, let's jump into this week's conversation. I know you're going to love the chat Richard and I had today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Goalie Hacks podcast. And today on the show, I have another stellar guest lined up, and that's former prep college and pro standout, recently turned AHL coach. And that gentleman is Richard Bachman. And after growing up in Salt Lake City, Utah, Richard went on to light up U.S. prep at Cushing Academy for a few years before moving on to the USHL for one season, where he played over 30 games in the league. And in 2007, he moved on to play at Colorado College for two seasons, absolutely lighting up as a rookie, putting up uh, incredible numbers and winning several personal accolades, recognized countrywide his, his freshman season for his performance. And he went on to play 70 games at Colorado College before deciding to opt out to sign and go pro early. And in his first season, he tore up the ECHL and, and made a name for himself, putting up great numbers at the American League level as well before getting his NHL debut with the Dallas Stars in 2010-11. And after his NHL debut, Richard went on to play almost 50 NHL games, over 260 AHL games, as well as a handful of games in IHF play, representing his country, the USA, on a number of occasions. And since retiring last year, this, this past season, Richard was named the goalie coach for the Iowa Wild, and I'm excited to dive into his whole career, and I couldn't be happier to welcome him to the show today to chat some goalie development. Uh, Coach Bachman, how you doing? Thanks for coming on the show, man. I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, well, great to get going on a call here, and, and super grateful to have you on. And uh, you know, obviously, an amazing career, lots to be proud of, lots to dive into. And I actually remember watching you play a, a relatively significant amount in, in recent memory during my years, kind of growing up. So cool to connect. And uh, shout out to Matt Zaba, who was a guest on the show. Uh, not long ago, hooked me up with with Richard. Appreciate the recommendation, Richard. Appreciate your time. But 
Uh, maybe you can just briefly dive into how things have been going in terms of development with your goaltenders and, uh, you know, as much as, as comfortable as you're willing to, to kind of uh, provide and uh, some of the challenges you guys had to overcome due to COVID this past year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's a good place to start because it was such a wild year with the whole COVID situation. But yeah. uh, as far as development goes in Iowa this year, we had two really young guys. We had a 20 and 21-year-old um, goalie. And I think starting the season, we had all of five AHL games played under our belt. So mm-hmm. it was a it was a big year for development for our two guys. Um, and with having the taxi squad, it actually allowed them probably to get even more development than they maybe normally would yeah, in their first sure. first American League season um, because we had Andrew Hammond up on the taxi squad the entire year. So it was mm-hmm. a great opportunity for them. Um, and it, as far as COVID, it was just such a unique and different season. And everyone has their own stories on, on how COVID went. We did mm-hmm. a great job organizationally of staying healthy in Iowa Minus a couple uh, little tiny blimps, um, false positives, stuff like that. Mm, yeah. our, our Most of our day-to-day stuff, once we got through the testing every morning at 7, 7.30 a.m., well, was yeah. a pretty pretty normal situation for the most part. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, we had the masks and, and all of that. But um, I, I think the biggest challenges COVID presented for us was first the taxi squad. Um, mm-hmm. Just it kind of happened later in the summer. So, and it was the first time anyone's ever dealt with that. So we were trying to manage how that's going to work. And you're kind of at the beck and call. If anything happens up top with those three guys, you know, you're going to lose one of your guys. So it it can change even quicker. Not only do you have injuries, but now you add that layer of COVID in there. Mm -hmm. And so every day you never knew if you were going to have the same guys. So that was kind of, keeping our guys ready in case they had to go there, staying in a good routine in Iowa itself. And then the other part to it was we found ourselves having to carry three goalies for the same exact reasons. Not only if someone got moved up, but if we had an injury Um, and and that was a little different is running practice with three goalies, trying to get enough goalie work in for each guy. So they're prepared if and when they have to play. We had Joel Rumpel, who's a veteran ECHL guy. He's played a couple games in the American League. Mm. And, and it was just as important not only to work with the two young prospects, but to keep him sharp. And he actually had to play – he played in five games for us. And he did an unbelievable job, mm-hmm. got us some big wins. So that was a that was a learning experience, I'm sure, for the players, having to share a net when you have three guys out there, Mm -hmm. but as the coaches learning how to manage that throughout a season was a little different. Yeah, no, I, you know, and, and I was kind of just talking about it with, even with like my dad, I said, you know, the, the opportunity, like if you were kind of, you know, in that kind of mix to be in the AHL, NHL right there is just, uh, um, you know, uh, despite the, the, um, you know, obviously awful year for so many people, if you were kind of positioned to be, you know, at the AHL level or, or right around it, you had a great opportunity to get in a lot more games than you typically would just because of all the movement and even the guys going up that maybe not would not have gotten NHL games before, correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it opened a, opened a lot of doors for guys um, and it gave a lot of guys that are close to that NHL a really good taste of what it's like day-to-day in the NHL and how mm-hmm. to prepare and right. how to be successful when they get that opportunity in the future. And then finally, I guess the last challenge we really faced, 
and and our guys were really good. Um, but it was the mental aspect of having COVID surrounding you. So mm. we were limited on where guys could eat, um, right. what they could do away from the rink. And, and our guys did a phenomenal job, but that other mental side of it was, was a big challenge and something we had to be really cognizant of throughout yeah. the season to make sure our guys were doing okay. Cause it, and even for the coaches, we had, we had to kind of check on each other, make sure we're doing okay. Mm. Um, because it was a, you know, as everyone knows, it was a challenging year, um, not only at work, but at home. Yeah. Well, you know, I hope we can uh, return to some level of normality and going forward with sort of the vaccine rolling out and all that. And, um, obviously wish you guys in, in, uh, the best of luck as we kind of roll through the summer or the season's kind of creeping up on us pretty quickly, but maybe you can just kind of start off, you know, by briefly sharing a bit of, of your story, your background, how we got to where we are today. Yeah. Um, so it, it all started, my parents bought a bakery when I was about six, seven years old. Um, I was living in Colorado at the time and my, nice. I had older, I had older brothers and they played a little bit of roller hockey, but in Colorado, ice hockey wasn't what it is today. Um, right. the, the avalanche weren't there yet. None of that stuff. So it wasn't a big hockey market, but my parents ended up buying this bakery in upstate New York, a little town called Saranac Lake. It's about nine miles from Lake Placid, um, which everyone's familiar with, obviously. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where hockey, I already had a little bit of an interest with my brothers, but that's, it was wintertime and that's what you did. You played hockey. So that's kind of where I got started. Um, and, and from there, uh, it, it was a really small town, played on a bunch of little teams around the area, got great exposure to really good hockey in the Northeast at a young age. Um, mm. But I, I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with playing, with skating on the open outdoor rinks, the mm. lakes, all that stuff. So I think that's what really developed my passion for hockey. And then being from Colorado and the Avs winning the cup in 96, that helped a lot too, watching Patrick Loss <laughs> stand on his head. Absolutely. Um, and so I was sold. And, and then from there, um, years, a few years went on. We ended up moving back to Colorado. Um, and I played for the Littleton Hawks here in Colorado. Um, and we actually were, I was very fortunate. We had a really good, really good team um, that we were able to compete nationally at a young age. And we also had Ray Bork's kids were at Littleton at the time. And so that's what kind of led me. The next chapter is Chris ended up going to Cushing Academy prep school out East, which I don't know if I ever would have heard of. Um, And I had a couple other buddies that I played with that actually followed him out there. And so they were out there for a year. They loved it. And um, that, that's what drew my interest in playing prep school hockey, uh, which I did for three years. And then we went to, and that's when I committed to Colorado College. I ended up doing a gap year in the USHL, a couple of years at CC, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then uh, decided to turn pro. And from there, uh, managed to carve out an 11-year uh, pro career in North yeah. America, um, which I'm very proud of. And got to do a lot of other really neat stuff around the sport throughout mm-hmm. the years. And over time, you talked about Matt Zaba. Um, I, he, he actually took me on my visit to CC. Oh, really? <laughs> yep. So, yep. When I visited CC, he was the one that took me. So, but him being back in Colorado, I started getting involved in some summer camps and some private mm-hmm. lessons through mountain high hockey, um, which he runs. And that's what kind of sparked my interest in moving into the coaching side of things, um, mm-hmm. here to where we are today. So it's been, uh, 
it's been a 20 something year journey. Um, but I feel like I'm just getting started on the second half of it, which is super exciting for me. Yeah, well, you know, right on. And, and I kind of want to dive, you know, back in. You, you mentioned Cushing Academy and, and rewinding back a little bit. I'm, I'm very familiar with the school and I went to prep group as well. And, and I'm grateful for that opportunity. But maybe you can kind of just, um, you know, share a bit of your experience when you first got to prep. Obviously, you said you weren't very familiar with the, the league and the hockey. And, you know, where did you kind of struggle the most initially when you're making that jump? Yeah, it's... Um... Hockey-wise, hockey was hockey. I, I think for for me at least, that's where you feel, and I'm sure for a lot of our listeners here, I think that's where you feel most comfortable with mm-hmm. with everything. Um, but the the flip side of it was that I moved two time zones away. Uh, I grew up. I have a twin brother. Uh, he ended up going to Salisbury Prep School. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, which is ironic that we both went, but we went to different schools. Um, right. Both great schools. But so I think the the most challenging part was I was what, 15, almost six, 16 maybe um, when I went mm-hmm. and you're leaving home. So my parents stayed in Colorado. It wasn't a quick, easy flight to get out there to visit or to yeah. come home. And then I was separated from my twin brother, who was, you know, my best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and we spent every day together our whole lives. So I think that part, was the most difficult in that first year, mm-hmm. but as well in the hockey side, I went in, I was a sophomore. I ended up making varsity. Um, we had a goalie named Keith Longo and and he was really good. He ended up playing division three college hockey, really good goalie, great guy, but he was, like I said, he was really good. So I went in and I think I played three or four games that year. And I played a little bit yeah. of double uh, a midget hockey um, the before and after season. So I was still getting some right. games in, but that was kind of a shock. Cause I had went from being basically the starter in on the youth teams for the most mm-hmm. part, um, switching off here and there, but started a lot of hockey games, played a lot of hockey games to go into play like three or four games in a season. Mm-hmm. And just the not being in the games, but trying to stay competitive, keep getting better. That part was really tough. And it took a, it took a lot of, a lot of patience, a lot of trust in myself mm-hmm. and the process. Um, and, and I actually almost didn't go back my junior year uh, just because of being so far away from home, right. wasn't playing a lot. Um, but I, I think it's a, I think it's a valuable lesson I learned. And I think a lot of young athletes of any sport right now, I think there's kind of a common theme right now is everyone wants some guarantees and, yeah. wants to be playing and if they're not playing they're going to go to this team or they're going to go to that team and so while it was really difficult for that year I decided to stick it out and I absolutely loved it I fell even more in love with the school my junior year mm-hmm. I played a ton of hockey games we had really good teams and that's kind of what started me down the road of getting scouted for college and the NHL. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was by not taking the guarantee or the easy way and sticking with being patient. And, and it really paid off in the end. And even after my junior year, I had USHL teams um, wanted me to come play. Mm-hmm. And I, I loved prep school so much that I passed up going to the Tri-City Storm <laughs> a year early. Right I, I told them, I told the USHL no. Um, 
because I wanted to finish what I had started there and, yeah. and I just enjoyed it. And we had, we had really good teams, good coaching, and it turned out to be a phenomenal experience. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think a lot of kids can relate to that. And there, to be honest, there aren't many guys that, that go out and, um, you know, kind of go, I mean, when I went to prep school, I was 17 and I redid a year. So I kind of felt like I was getting ahead of, you know, uh, kind of the age gap a little bit rather than going in early. So I'm sure there's a lot of kids out there that can kind of relate to that. Maybe they're not playing a lot where they are and, you know, to kind of stick with that process. And like you said, everybody kind of wants that, you know, those guarantees nowadays to to play. And I feel like the, the game is just honestly getting so deep that nobody really gives them anymore, even at the minor hockey level. You know what I mean? So, um, but, you know, kind of moving to, to junior, you know, you eventually uh, went on to do amazing uh, um, at school, at prep school, and then you finally transitioned to junior hockey. Um, but after, you know, you went to the USHL for the following season, but maybe you can just detail, you know, where you kind of struggled the most there initially and, and sort of the biggest surprise you had when you hit the USHL. Yeah. Um, for the USHL, there was a couple different times where I – yeah, you know, I looked back on it and I felt like I really struggled. And I look at some of the numbers, I'm like, ah, it wasn't too bad. Um, but, <laughs> but um, no, it was just, it, it's a, it was a little bit faster. Guys were a little bit bigger and stronger. Um, and I think some of that had to do with, I think there was only like 12 teams in the USHL when I mm-hmm. played in it and almost everyone was committed to division one um, from pretty much every team. And I think it's very similar to that still today. Yeah, for sure. Um, so guys were just a little bit quicker, um, a little bit stronger. And that's kind of when for me and I, and I, my family, we didn't have hockey in the background. So, and, and the games changed so much. So I'm not saying this is the way to go by any means to any of these <laughs> listeners, but like I, I would work out and stuff, but I didn't have a personal trainer or mm-hmm. goalie coach or any of that stuff until I got to juniors. And, and then I just, then I started to realize the value of proper training, mm-hmm. proper goalie coaching. I had Joe Exter, who was a phenomenal goalie coach um, in Cedar Rapids. And, and that's when I kind of, it kind of clicked that if I want to really do this and do this well, I need to be doing the stuff on the ice and off the ice the right way. You, mm-hmm. you can't just rely on showing up and playing well all the time. Well, you, you can't overdo it because you don't want to burn yourself out. Yeah, you got to it's when I really learned I had to have a little bit more focus and my start of the year, we were facing like 40 shots. Um, it was pretty wide open hockey just because it's so fast and there's a lot of mistakes because it's younger players. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had to learn to be a little bit quicker, a little bit sharper throughout that year. Um, and, and so I think that was the biggest struggle. I and mean, then getting traded was honestly a kind of a, a shock to me slash a humbling um, experience yeah. while you think things are going well and stuff. It kind of, it almost brought, brings you down to earth a little bit. Things had gone so smooth in prep school. And then in Chicago, we struggled and I was not playing great by any Mm -hmm. means. We, like I said, we gave a lot of shots, but I could have been playing a lot better. And I think some of that was me learning how to be a, like almost like a, being a pro, like how to work out the right way, how to train, do everything the right way. Um, And then I got traded and it was like, whoa, like you're not wanted anymore yeah right and so that was that was a little bit difficult um but it did kind of light a fire under me to keep pushing and keep getting better every day so i could be ready to go for the next year in college 
Yeah. Well, I guess for kids looking to, to make a smooth transition to junior hockey, what's some of the best advice you have them or, or a skill they can start developing today that you think is transferable to juniors? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, so we talked about the strength and speed of that league um, in junior hockey. And like you said, the depth of hockey now is incredible. So mm-hmm. any junior league is going to be super quick and you're going to have strong kids. So mm-hmm. my biggest probably advice is to work on, and, and I'll say this for a few answers probably today, because um, I'm a huge, huge believer in Freddie Shabbat, the Minnesota Wild NHL goalie coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have pretty pretty much the same idea on it, but you have to be a good skater. Like yeah. the, the footwork, the skating, the speed, the power, like that you can never stop working on. So even with our, our AHL, NHL guys, it's all, especially early in the year, it's all about skating and footwork and, and being super efficient, quick and strong. And I think that's something not only for guys going into juniors, but kids playing minor hockey, yeah. um, even down at the peewee bantam level. And mm-hmm. it's hard because there's always not a lot of focus at those levels sometimes for the goalies. But if you have a few minutes, like you can always work on your skating and, and pushing the pushing the envelope far enough to where you might fall over. You might, mm-hmm. you might slip up, you might miss your mark in practice, but you're, once you get comfortable at that pace, then you can keep building it. So, so never get too, I guess, never get too comfortable thinking you're quick. You can always get a little bit quicker and cleaner and sharper. And I think that'll help a lot of guys. If you can skate and keep up with the game, the rest of it becomes a lot easier than when we're chasing it. If yeah. that makes sense to you guys. Oh, absolutely. And and it's a, a theme that comes up often on the show. And uh, it was something I, you know, did a lot as a kid. I always bring up the stories, how I used to do, like, we call it power skating. So like we, you know, I would go out for an hour and skate with all the players. And then I would jump in net for the second hour and take shots. And I kind of look back on some of those um you know experiences obviously you're so young or my dad kind of put me through those things but then as it became older you know that became a part of my identity I realized how important it was to kind of get that early development in the skating because if you can't nowadays I mean you know they're you're kind of seeing it in the NHL where you know the 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 last 10 kind of 15 years was sort of that jigger that kind of block and style and you know now you're you're seeing this rise in mobility you have to be mobile even as a guy who's six five and you know and that's why you're seeing some guys who are a little bit shorter who can compete at the nhl level even at five ten six feet right for um, sure and it's it's funny you bring up jaguar uh, and i'm not trying i'm not trying to call you out on this um but i was actually going to bring him up because but i was thinking to myself some of these listeners probably never even watched him play <laughs> um, i'm so damn dating myself now <laughs> no it's a, yeah exactly so if you haven't seen jiggy play Go back and watch his cup run with Anaheim. Uh, it was incredible. But the yeah. thing with him is he did play a blocking style. Yeah. But And I have actually was fortunate enough to skate with him for a week in the lockout um, when he was nice. in Colorado and I was back here. Um, but the two things stood out with me for him. Not only was he – he was a blocking style goalie and stuff, yeah. and he kind of got that rap, right? Yeah. Um, and, and his chest protector was huge, but that that's all changed. <laughs> but – uh his skating and footwork were surprisingly unbelievable really and wow. that's why he was, so, he was so quick with his feet his rotations his pushes he had power he was so good at but he was also so yeah. controlled that 
he was always in position. So, and he was big. So people didn't really, you didn't get to see that mm. side of it, but it was so efficient and quick that he was just in position. And then it allowed him to block from that position. So it, it's kind of wow, a misconception. That's a, that's I, cool. I had the same, I had the same thoughts watching him play. I'm like, man, he's just a big blocking goalie. He doesn't move that well. <laughs> and I got on the ice with him. And I'm like, holy crap, I better get, I better get my feet going. If I'm going to try and wow, keep that is incredible. Guy. So it's basically, he basically, uh, he he um, influenced an era of not even his full like toolbox and identity really. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And then the <laughs> second thing, real quick, we can move on. Of course, with Jiggy is his work ethic. He's mm-hmm. a guy that's been in the Stanley Cup. He's played in the NHL for a long, long time. And when he was mm-hmm. on the ice, like it was go time, and he worked. And I don't know how he did it, even late in his career. But like you felt like he was never going to stop and never get tired. But he was wow. crisp, clean, and worked extremely hard every time he touched the ice. And I know everyone talks about working hard and stuff, but he – and I've talked to coaches that have had him mm-hmm. as well, and he is the epitome of works hard. Like, mm-hmm. And he just gets the job done. And at the end of the day, there's no super secret formula. Like if you, if you mm-hmm. work hard, you're going to give yourself a chance to be successful. Yeah, and if that's sort of a non-negotiable nowadays, right? It was, it was almost like uh... – not everybody kind of clued into doing all the extra stuff. And you even brought up earlier about all the coaches now and all the deliberate skill development that goes on. It's that, that hard work aspect and that character is truly like non-negotiable now. Would you say that? Yo, yeah, for sure. For sure. And I don't want to get people the wrong impression too. So yeah. as a coach, like I, I it's a non-negotiable that we're working hard and when we're in, we're going yeah. right. But at least my job, part of it too is to manage your rest load. So Mm -hmm. you don't, you don't necessarily need to be, you can, you can work all day long and work hard, but you got to also manage that rest side too. So there's a, it's a fine balance, but for Mm -hmm. me, it's like when we're, when we're going, like if we have a purpose, like we're going, Mm -hmm. it's a hundred percent all out effort within, you know, in control um, and, and same when you're in the gym, like you're in the gym, like that's why we're there. Mm-hmm. But it's where if you surround yourself with good people, if I, if my guys give me uh say that practice is 50 minutes for the day and they give me a good 50 minutes, like that's it. Like we don't need to keep going either. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's finding that balance. Cause again, like we mentioned earlier, like you got to watch out, especially for the young listeners for that mm-hmm. burnout. You, right. you just, you, if you don't love the game or you get tired of it and it's too exhausting, not saying it won't be hard and it won't be tiring because it will be, Yeah. but you gotta, you gotta love the game just as much too. So it's finding that balance. And when you're in, you're in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. And so in, in, in 2007, you know, you, you made your college debut kind of rewinding a bit to your, your great uh, freshman year. Uh, had a breakout season. You're named the 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 WCHA. All, uh, you're named to the WCHA All Rookie Team, first All Star Team. You're also the Player of the Year and Rookie of the Year award in the conference, um, as well as being named an All American and the top collegiate, you know, Rookie of the Year in the uh, entire NCAA, which is amazing feats for for you in your first college year. But you know, maybe you can kind of first uh, tell everyone where you you struggled the most initially when you were trying to uh, make that that transition to to college hockey. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, that's a interesting question. That freshman year, I, I wish I could give anyone the magic formula. I wish I could have gave myself the magic <laughs> formula. I'd probably, I'd probably still be playing. Um, 
but the, the biggest the biggest challenge and i guess it kind of goes back to even this can work for guys going into juniors too um but for a lot of guys heading into college and stuff it's really learning to take accountability mm. for for yourself yeah. um at that point you're you're an adult you're on your own you don't have a ton of people watching over you like if you don't know how to do it you should learn how to do your laundry little things yeah. like that uh, yeah. learning how to eat right, rest right, uh, time management with studies, uh, mm. practice with hanging out with your friends. Um, so that mm. it's being accountable for your, for everything that goes on on your daily life and not relying on other people to manage it for you. Yeah. Um, so I think that can be a real struggle. And, and for me, I was, like the prep school route and then juniors, I kind of had a little bit of a leg up heading into college because I'd already been on my own for a little bit. But mm-hmm. I think that's where a lot of guys yeah. can really struggle that first year is, is learning how to manage themselves in their daily routine without mom and dad or a dorm parent or a billet kind of guiding them through the day every day. So that that's a big yeah. that's a big key once you can do manage all of that around your life seamlessly, then you can really start to focus in on the studies and the hockey and be successful in those areas as well. So that was a, that was a big one. And then other than that, the freshman year, I just, I remember going into the captain's practice. I was like, Holy cow, like this is fast. Like the shots were harder. (laughs) I was like, Oh man. Yeah. Like here we go. It kind of hits you a bit. Right. And maybe I was just kind of in my own little bubble, but then all of a sudden I got a game and it went well. And then next thing Mm -hmm. I know the whole season, I think I had, I probably only had a couple off nights. And so that was, um, I I was pretty fortunate not to go through a lot of struggles that year. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And maybe we can kind of jump, um, you know, right, right to your pro career as well. You know, after two seasons of college, you decided to go pro early and a smart decision is your first year pro you're, you're named the goalie of the year with the lowest goals against average in the league in, in the ECHL. But, um, you know, for goalies looking to, to make the transition to pro hockey one day, you know, what, what do you think's the most transferable or valuable skill that kids can start learning at a young age that you think will transfer all the way to pro hockey one day? Yeah, I think two things um, on that is developing, for me at least, and everyone's going to be a little bit different. For sure. But And so you're going to have your own style with how you do this, but developing a really, a really good routine. Um, mm. So that would be from the day before a game or even, even through your week or season. Um, but having a, having a foundation that you can rely on to carry you through an entire season, yeah. especially a long pro season um, mm. where you're going to have a lot of ups and downs. If you have that foundation and something to fall back on, I think it helps you maintain consistency. Yeah. It helps you when you're say you're in a little bit of a slump, it, as long as it's not something that needs to be addressed. So every once in a while you got to reevaluate and make sure you're doing the routine correctly or it's actually working for you. But if you have that kind of foundation, that backbone to rely on, it, it can get you through the tough times. And when you're going good, it can also just carry you for longer stretches of good consistency. So developing that routine to me was huge. And, and I was able to kind of start doing that in juniors. I didn't quite mm. know uh, college was a little more regimented with our 
with least with Colorado College on mm-hmm. when we warm up, when we do that. Um, but then because I started developing it early enough, when I got into pro, I didn't have a lot to learn or adjust as far as that went. I was able to stick with my routine and then have that to rely on to, to have a good season. Um, and the second thing I think would be just learning learning the game like learning everyone there's so many more goalie coaches available now right and everyone's got some kind of knowledge that they can pass on but learning some stuff about the game um on your free time when you're watching the nhl look at what these goalies are doing Mm. um look at how they're playing certain situations and really try and learn the game and it's something i i felt like i had started doing um but probably didn't even do enough of really yeah, no, I, I, a lot of people say the same thing. It's just kind of building those systems that you can kind of rely on. That's what helps you feel confident for the test really. Right. And, and, you know, we're, we're going to get into kind of yours personally, but, you know, I want to kind of transition to, to finally, you know, your NHL debut with uh, the Dallas stars and, you know, maybe you could take us through and comment on your, on your journey and what was required to even get to that, that NHL debut and, and sort of your first reactions to NHL hockey and what surprised you the most when you got there. Yeah. Um, well, the thing that surprised me the most was how big guys are. Like, <laughs> uh, like they're they're big in juniors. They're big in college. Yeah. They're big in the American League or the ECHL. Um, but there's some big boys in the NHL. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for me, that was I was like being five ten. I was like, holy cow! Like you got to really fight to find that puck. Yeah, out right. That was um, that was tough. Um, so yeah, so that was the biggest probably challenge was dealing with traffic and just the big bodies. The speed, you know, wasn't anything crazy, crazy different. Um, if anything, getting up into the NHL, the game's a little more structured. And so if you have good positioning and good reads, uh, you can you can be pretty successful because you know what play's gonna happen and ninety-five percent of the time the team in front of you is going to execute that play how it's supposed to be executed right. whereas in a little bit more in like junior hockey college hockey there's a lot more broken plays and a little bit mm-hmm. more unknown so the nhl definitely has a little bit more structure i think as the game has gotten faster over the last five seven years it um and a little bit younger that some of that structure is gone a little bit but it's still it um it's there. So the big thing in the NHL is your positioning because mm-hmm. if you're not in position, they'll make you pay mm-hmm. and your reads. If you, if you can be one step ahead of the play and it goes back to our skating, if we can skate really well and be in position early, then you're going to have success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, you went on to, to have an exceptional playing career after that, as I mentioned, you know, uh, seen you play a number of times. We ended up accumulating over 50 NHL games, over 270 AHL games, you know, including a goalie of the the playoffs award in the AHL in 2015 as well. But, you know, kind of looking back at, at your entire pro career, if you could go back and tell yourself one thing before going pro or, or during your long tenure playing, what would it be? Uh, yeah, there's probably two things I would tell myself. Mm-hmm. Um, one would be be patient. Be more patient. So, mm-hmm. and you're never going to pass up for the for the – Lucky few that do make it, you're never going to pass up a contract in the NHL. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. Um, but 
I, I looked back, I had uh, my first year in Dallas. I was got called up in like November early. I yeah. played a bunch. It went well. Um, and then I contract was up. And so I was going through negotiations um, and kind of had a feeling the lockout was coming. Right. But I wanted that NHL one way contract so bad because that's what, you know, your whole life Absolutely. you're thinking NHL, NHL, mm-hmm. right? And so if I could go back, I would have taken the first offer, which was a two-way deal. And I wish I would have played that year in the American League. Um, mm. I had still needed time to learn more. I needed more situational play. I needed more touches, mm. more ice time. I wasn't mature enough. And I think I was like 23, 24 um, for me. And not everyone's the same, but. I wasn't mature enough looking back to handle not, well, not only not playing throughout a lockout, but then not playing for, um, you know, a week and a half to two week stretches mm-hmm. and then having to hop in and be successful. Right. Cause if you're not successful in the NHL, there's no wiggle room. It's not, right. let's wait it's and try and, right? let's not wait and see if he'll figure it out. Like it's pretty <laughs> cut and dry up there. It's a results oriented business. Um, sure. So yeah, patience. I, I, everyone wants to be up in the NHL, but getting games, whether it's in the ECHL to get to the American league and the American league to get to the NHL when you're young and just getting started, the more games you can play, like you really learn to dominate that league mm. before moving on. And I, I think that I think going back to the American League for at least another year, if not two, and playing 55 games each season would have really been benefited me into the, in the long term. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's one thing I would kind of tell myself, um, and, and I try and relay that message to the young guys I work with now that are so eager to get up there. I'm like, for sure, it, everybody it, wants to. Jack it'll still it, right? happen, yeah. And you got to take advantage of opportunities. Don't get yeah, me wrong, of course, um, but patience get your games played get games 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 mm-hmm. no matter where you are and i was just talking with usa hockey um goalie director about this and we we get guys kids that they want to be in that next level they want to go from the nhl to the ushl right into college they want to be right. at that next highest level but by doing that you might only play 10 games that season where you yeah. could be playing 50 and, and even when I do scouting or any of that stuff, one of the biggest things we look at are games played. Yes, mm-hmm. we look at the league here and there, but if you're not developing at a young age because you're not playing, that's that's where the issue becomes. So go, go where you're going to play and play a lot um, would be my advice. And it goes all the way into pro hockey, uh, obviously. And then the, the second thing I wish I could yeah. tell myself kind of goes back to what I think can help guys be successful in pro is I wish I would have learned the game a little more or at least learned the position a little more early on and some of that's like uh, tactically you're speaking yep and some of that's just circumstances um we yeah. we didn't have really have a goalie coach my first until i was in dallas that was the first time i had a full-time goalie coach in pro hockey um, yeah wow and even throughout my entire time in the american league my whole career i never had a full-time guy there with me i had part-time guys um but so that's why i'm also very passionate about getting more goalie coaches involved in organizations mm. and then USHL and, you know, college and all that, because it's so valuable to learn the tactical technique, the positioning, 
why you do stuff, what's a good option here. And, and again, there's no right or wrong way to do it, but just yeah. having someone to, as a sounding board, I think it helps you learn the game. And the more, you know, the more knowledge you have, the more success I think you're going to have. So I wish I, I wish I could have had more of that or gone out and figured out myself how to get that information. Even if there wasn't directly someone there to work with me, mm-hmm. I still think I could have found a different solution. So looking back, I wish I would have. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, I guess for kids, you know, looking to make the transition to pro hockey one day as well, like what, what do you think is a big misconception amongst minor hockey, you know, goalies or parents about pro hockey or, or the NHL that there should be more clarity on? Well, that's tough. Um, I, I think, I don't know if it's a misconception, um, mm-hmm. but and, and I don't want to burst anyone's bubbles here, but it is super. <laughs> it is, it is really difficult to make it to the to the NHL. Absolutely, um, and it's even more difficult to stay in the NHL. There's um, you know, there's hundreds of kids getting better every day that want to get there. Um, so you have to you have to put in the work. You have to put in the time. You have to commit to it. Um, but I think where the misconception comes in is that if you do all that hard work and you do everything right, you're going to make it. Mm. And I think that's not always true. It goes even back to what we talked about. Like you have to have a love for the game Mm. and you can't fool yourself into loving the game. And so it's not a bad thing if you, you know, if you're 18 and you start losing some interest or, you know, it's not a bad thing, Mm -hmm. but I think there needs to be more emphasis on enjoying the game and having fun in there. Cause right now there's a lot of kids that are like, we have to be playing all the time, all the right. time. And you get that burnout factor where, so I think a lot of parents and then even players like take a second, slow it down, make sure you're just really enjoying it. And if that involves taking two months off in the summer and playing a different sport, so be it. Even if your buddies are playing summer hockey, you're going to be refreshed. You're going to have a love for the game and that mm. can carry you just as far as those guys doing a few extra lessons in the summertime. So that's a kind of a message I try and steer some kids and parents towards is you gotta, you gotta really enjoy the game. And sometimes that means taking a little bit of time away from the game. Mm-hmm. So you enjoy it more. Um, yeah. And so I, I know it's not what a lot of people want to hear. It's all go, go, go uh, for hockey sure. all the time. But that to me is uh, a big, a big part of it. And yeah. the, I guess the next part to that is talking about taking time off. Mm. Be, don't forget to be an athlete. So we can become really good goalies, really good hockey players. But if you aren't an athlete, it's going to be even harder to succeed. So if you can scoop a ball that's thrown to you short in baseball or catch a lacrosse Mm. ball that's out in front of you or hit a golf ball clean, any of this stuff, if you get in net and the plague breaks down on you and it's not technically perfect, you have something else to rely on to make saves. And so, again, when we scout, we look for athletes, not just goalies. You can be a really good technical goalie, but we have a sense. We have a good sense on if you're an actual athlete. And the athletes are the ones that end up winning a lot of games and they're competitive mm. and they can get out of their comfort zone easily to make extra, that one extra save that might win you something. So, mm. um, yeah. And then the final thing to the misconception is, and it goes back to what I wish I would told myself is don't be too eager to move on. Mm. Like be okay with where you are for the time, like really fully 
immerse yourself in that place, in that time, enjoy it. And then when you're ready, it will happen. You will move up. Like we, I'm sure everyone saw this name a lot uh, last night at the Seattle expansion draft, but Chris Dreger, right? Mm-hmm. He comes into pro hockey. He's kind of shuffled around the ECHL, moves up to the AHL. He's doing okay. And he finally, it clicked. And it was probably when he was 24, 25. Right. But he wasn't so eager to get out of there. Like he just was playing and running and letting everything do its course and playing and playing. And now at 27, I believe he is, now he's in the NHL. And he's only played 35 games. But now look at the, the opportunity he has going forward to potentially be Seattle's 1A goalie, mm-hmm. depending on what they do. Um, yeah. So don't be too eager. So those, those are kind of my advices or my advice to parents and goalies trying to get it and thinking about how do we get there? Yeah, absolutely, man. And I guess, you know, um, uh, amazing hearing about your career and, and just the advice and maybe if you kind of, you know, touch on, you know, the biggest adversity that, that you ever faced in your time playing and how exactly, uh, did you overcome it? Uh, yeah, the, I have plenty of adversity. Um, uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll I'm going to touch on two, one, cause there's probably a lot of undersized goalies listening to this. And for so long, whether it was juniors or college or my first, probably, I mean, I heard it throughout my entire pro career, but it was on like repeat my first like three, four years in pro Mm -hmm. hockey was how do you do it? You're undersized. Like, how are you doing it? And to me, I never felt undersized. Mm -hmm. I I never allowed that to seep in to make me feel small. Mm -hmm. I found a way to imagine myself in the net. I look like everyone talks about box control and stuff. Um, And if you look at it, like even if you're 5'10", you're taking up the whole net. Yeah, yeah, you might have to be more patient than a guy that's six six on your feet, or you might have to be a little bit better skater. But there's ways around it. But it's just not allowing yourself to let that external garbage really enter your mind Absolutely. and just push it aside. So whenever they make me say like, "Oh, you're undersized," you know, <laughs> I would be like, "Well, I, you know, I don't really, I don't feel undersized out there. I may not look <laughs> the dolls, but I feel big out there." Right. And so it's not a problem for me. So it shouldn't be a problem for you guys reporting this stuff. So, um, so yeah, I think that's good advice for the young or the, the so-called smaller guys. Is right. Don't, don't worry about that stuff. Just be better in other areas. Just mm-hmm. keep working on other areas and, and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second, the biggest adversity probably was I was playing a game a few years back got stepped on, had my Achilles tendon sliced all the way through. Oh my um, gosh. I was older. I had one year left on my deal. Um, and I didn't know if I was going to play. I was already in my thirties. I didn't know if I was going to even play again. I was out for, I was off the ice for six months, uh, getting back on the ice. I could, couldn't even skate backwards for the first month because it wow. hurt so bad. Um, but it was just, uh, I was really, it was just keep pushing, keep pushing. And after that, I didn't play a ton after that, um, just with some circumstance stuff. But I knew I had gotten myself back to a position where I could play at a really high level consistently again. And it was just that driving force of wanting to prove that this injury can't can't stop me. And mm-hmm. nothing – it, it's up to me to put in the extra time, the treatment, the workouts, the little extra stuff to get to me – to get me back to where I was. And so that was – I was out for a long time. Um, 
I didn't play a ton, but I, when I did come back just cause the situation, it was, we, it was a free agent situation. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I was hurt through it. And yeah. so we had a, the organization had to protect themselves. So I ended up not playing a ton, but I kept going to work every day, kept doing things the right way yeah. in the limited games I did get in. I was able to have success and play really well. And so I was proud of that. Now, you know, I want to dive into your, your coaching career at the next level. Um, you know, obviously been a, a short coaching career so far as you, you just retired from playing, uh, you know, after a long successful career, but maybe you can just finally briefly dive into your, you know, uh, your specific three or four pillars you surround your goaltending and playing philosophy around and, and why you think they're so important. Yeah. Um, I, I think the first one, and we've touched on it, is the skating. Um, some would say, to me, it's skating. I call it uh, one of the, probably the main thing I tell my guys is like quick to position. Got to be quick to position, get your feet set, be there. So we're beating passes, we're in time with the play, we're not just sitting around waiting for something to happen. Like we want to be mm-hmm. in position and we want to be there quickly. And that way you're not ending up chasing the game. And so that's a big component of beating passes on the feet, um, mm. recoveries off of rebounds. Mm. Like as soon as it happens, boom, we're going, we're quick to position. And yeah. that way we're staying in time with the play. If anything, we might be a tiny bit ahead of it. And that allows us to evaluate the situation even further. So once we're there and we're set, now if we have a little bit of time, now we can kind of look around and, and get some other information into our game. So, so that's number one, mm-hmm. quick to position. Um, the second component is, and even with my guys that are six, six um, to the smaller, so-called smaller guys, uh, right. having really, really patient feet. Mm. Um, and so if we're in position, cause we've gotten there quickly, now, if we can hold our feet for that extra half second off of a release, um, now we're not getting beat um, with the high shots. We have You have more time than you think. But it's also if the play gets broken and you're holding your feet, you might not even have dropped. because now, And then it allows you to move and get to position quick again. Yeah. So that patient feet um, it is super important. We can get into the really technical stuff. I'm sure a lot of listeners have heard of the term tracking down. Mm. Um, Maybe you can kind of detail it a little bit. Yeah. So, so tracking down on the puck is essentially having our eyes on the puck. And I know it sounds really, it's it, first of all, it's really hard to notice. Um, it's it, it, sometimes it can be hard to adjust, but like if you're looking a lot of times in our daily life, right? If you look at an object, a lot of times we're kind of just looking over it. Like, yes, we see it, mm. but like we're looking over it. So if you look at something that's say on your desk, a lot of times you'll be looking over the top of it, but you can still see it. Like it's no problem. And mm-hmm. you'd be able to react to it. But if you lower those eyes actually directly onto it, so you're only seeing that object to your body down in front of you. So we call it tracking down. That will allow you to be more patient, but it also creates better hand-eye coordination. Um, But where it helps too with the patience is if I'm on it, I'm not guessing anymore. Now my eyes just track with it down through the puck, not over the top. Um, Another good example for tracking down is you don't use it as much because it's far away, but say the D has the puck at the blue line. 
and it's a D to D pass. A lot of times our eyes are up and yes, we see the pass, but we go straight across. Our head moves straight across. Mm. And uh, I'll give everyone a little fun um, exercise yeah, let's here they it. can all try at home. Uh, <laughs> so just simulate that you're watching a D to D pass. And if your eyes are up level, like straight up and you turn your head, say left to right, like your neck moves freely, but nothing happens with your shoulders. Mm. Now think about making a slight, almost a U shape. Cause as that puck moves across, it's actually closer to us in the middle of the ice than it is on the wall. Right. So now make a little U and as you make that little U, it automatically starts to rotate our shoulders because our chin's now down a little bit. Right. And so it gives the us automatic. Shoulder. Yep. It gives us automatic rotation. We're on the puck the whole time. And then if the puck did change directions, you're still on it. You're not looking over, guessing where it's mm. going. And then you have to find it again. Like you can follow it, boom, you can move and you're always squared up. So to me, tracking down slash patient on your feet on releases is super critical. Um, and we're getting really technical with that stuff. And it's hard to, it's hard to explain over a podcast. Exactly. No, I mean, I understand but, it. Cause it, it's, you know, you generally thinking if you see the puck and it goes right across, it's, it's not actually that line the you actually makes more sense to be right in line with, with where it's going to end up. Right. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just maintaining that connection. Um, but, but the patient feet. So the other side of tracking down yeah. is now that you're on the puck, if you can hold your feet a little bit longer, you're actually watching the release. You're not guessing on a release because mm-hmm. if he doesn't shoot or he passes, it, that you have that patient feet. Because the worst thing is if you drop early and they make a pass, you're out of it. Or if it's a shot tip and you just guess shot, you're actually not tracking that puck in. So having that extra patience on your feet will give you a lot more chance to, to make controlled saves, which then – Brings me into the third pillar, Hmm. you could say, is, um, and this is something I wish I actually knew more of when I was playing. I started, I started learning. Ian Clark started helping me with this too, Hmm. um, in in Vancouver there. But um, is kind of some you can call it crease management, um, eliminating extra movement, all that stuff. So whether it's depth, too much depth, too little depth. sliding out of position not recovering properly like if you eliminate the extra movements and you're crisp on your around your crease you'll give yourself a chance on a lot of plays you'll Mm. always be in there to make a save when we Mm. add an extra movement say a shooter has it and we think we need to get out an extra foot to block it or to take up more net and all of a sudden they pass it now we have further to go those are extra movements so it's eliminating those you still have to play with correct depth but you want to try and eliminate that or whether it's um, a net drive, wide net drive. If you're not organized and you have extra movements around those posts, it gets a lot harder to be crisp and clean. And then we get behind if we're on our post and we have to do, if we get to our post and then we have to level out before we can then push again, that's an extra movement. So it's, Mm. it's all those little tiny things becoming more efficient within the crease that can help us be quicker can help us be set in time with the play. So those are kind of the three things I focus on with my guys for the most part. Um, You know, we, we expand those and we add in and we take away stuff as we go, depending on how we're playing. But for the most part, those are kind of the three main things we focus on on a daily basis. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, you know, having seen a lot of goalies through your playing career and, and now in your coaching career, you know, you, you kind of moving around the league, seeing everybody play, doing your scouting. Um, but sort of at the, the you know, the, the NHL and the AHL level, what, what are some important and, and common characteristics that, you know, goalies who typically find success early in those leagues um, right away possess? Yeah. Um, I think compete is we talk mm, about working hard right. and stuff um you you can work super hard and stuff like that having that compete the the guys that have a lot of success um they they just compete they don't ever give up it doesn't matter if it's in practice or in a game or mm-hmm. broken play or a simple shot like they're competing till the very end no matter what mm-hmm. um and i think it and everyone sometimes thinks we're competing and that's where sometimes mm-hmm. being that's why I talk about being just an overall athlete, not just a technical goalie um, can come into play. Cause sometimes we get so ingrained in doing everything technically perfect or just like a goalie drill that we forget like in the game, nothing's stopping. So if there's a yeah. rebound, no matter what the situation is, whether you have a chance or not, like you got to compete to get there. You got to compete to make that extra safe. Um, so I think that's a huge characteristic for guys that have come yeah. in quickly. Like you look at Nadelkovic and you yes he doesn't play the most normal style but the one thing he does is he competes <laughs> yeah, nonstop. He, he does not stop um so that's that's one trait um the other side is the mental side um yeah, for sure. guys that are able to let things go um be dialed in always not allow themselves to wander in the head um, if you can do that coming in right away, you're probably going to have more success, um, versus if you don't, you got to figure out a way to find it and, and you will, um, it's not saying you can't find yeah, that mental side right. of it, but if you can start working on some of that stuff at a younger age, you can, you know, give yourself a better chance for success right away. Like quick little story, uh, uh, yeah. Thatcher, Thatcher Demko, I had him his first year. We were in Utica together and he had to compete like nothing else. Um, mm. but the mental side of the game wasn't quite there yet. And some of it was maturity. He would get so upset if he got scored on, even in practice, um, mm. and that he, and he sometimes just couldn't let it go. And it wasn't until he learned to like settle down and just stay focused and stay within himself. Right. And everyone's going to be different on how they react to things. But if you can be strong mentally, once he figured that out in his second year, all of a sudden you just saw his trajectory just go up, up, right. up. Um, and, it, and it was something he didn't have the mental side quite yet his first year that once he figured that out, it was like, okay, this guy's, this guy's right. unbeatable. Like he's, he's going to be the real deal. Yeah. I mean, it's inevitable. The, the, the position in the game is set up for, for you to face adversity and fail at some points and, and learning to get past it is, so is probably not talked about enough truly as a goalie right and everybody looks at even your career and and all of these amazing goalies right and they look at the elite prospects and they think of all the great numbers and all the games they play but they don't they don't really you know they don't talk about all the teams you got cut from and all the hardships you went through and all the adverse you had to face and kind of turn the page and get over it all right yeah exactly exactly yeah you, everyone focuses on the good stuff for the most part um so there's there's a lot of a lot of struggles, a lot of hard times in there. But uh, if you can stay within yourself mentally, uh, it's definitely an added bonus. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I guess, uh, you know, maybe finally we can kind of jump into, you know, you, you mentioned routines before and, and how that was a big part of, uh, you know, your success over the years. You contribute a lot of your success to your routine. So maybe we kind of jump into it a little bit. I know you, you recently retired, so it must be relatively fresh. But, you know, what what's kind of your game day routine and maybe take us briefly from the night before to game time and how you, you get ready to play every day? Yep, yeah, for sure. Um, so for me, the night before a game, um, typically I'd have something similar to eat just cause especially more as I got older, just say like some of these young listeners will find out as you get older, your body reacts a little bit yeah. differently to different <laughs> foods and stuff. Um, but so it'd start with a good meal, um, get some good fuel in me. Uh, and then before bed, I pretty much try and go to bed at the same time. Um, What's that, so that, time? that's, uh, for me, well, when I was younger, it was a tiny bit later um because i could sleep in then i had yeah. kids and i was getting up earlier so i moved my bedtime earlier yeah. but uh around it was around 10 10 30 yeah. when i was older it was probably more like 11 11 30 mm-hmm. anywhere i could get eight nine hours of sleep depending on it so yeah. um but uh right before bed once i shut the tv off or whatever i was doing i would take five minutes or so and i'd visualize and i had pretty much mm-hmm. the same and it would change Every now and then, um, it's something I started in college, but I visualized the night before the game. I would first visualize myself doing crease movements and then visualize myself Mm -hmm. making saves, like tracking pucks in, whether it's blocker save, pad save, uh, chest, Mm -hmm. just soaking in the rebounds. Then I visualize myself Mm -hmm. on saves and recoveries, situational, um, three on two, two on one, and a breakaway. And it it doesn't have to be much. and then the last, um, the last part was like, I'd probably, I'd try and visualize like a couple like highlight reel saves, right. um, just something to get me feeling good. But it was kind of a way for me to kind of get my mind going that we're going to be playing. And it wasn't anything that would keep me awake at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that just comes from, I had been doing it for so long. Um, but then, so the next day, um, it would be. We'd have morning skate and I typically do a similar skating pattern slash warm up before the skate got going. Um, and my biggest focus in morning skate wasn't always, and I know I talk about quick position and, and going all the time. Mm-hmm. Morning skate can be a little different. Uh, for me, it was all about tracking, just watching mm-hmm. the puck come in. So in that morning skate, like I was trying to watch the puck spin in the air. I was trying to get that dialed in wow. on the puck. Um, and, and same in the warmups in the game, um, if they're doing like three line shooting and they're coming in from 40 feet away, I'd try and hold my feet and just watch that puck spin all the way into my glove or blocker. Mm. Um, and so that was a big part in the morning skate for me. And then, um, depending on how my legs were feeling, if I felt like they were a little sluggish, sometimes I'd actually push a little harder and try and just kind of flush them out. Mm. Um, if I was feeling good, I was good. And I'd get off, I'd do a little stretching, go home, get my meal, get my nap in. I'd nap for a while there. I'd nap for almost two hours. Um, nice. And then as I got older, my naps got shorter, um, mm. but which was fine. I never let the nap really dictate if I was going to play well or not. Yeah. Um, it's just whatever I needed for rest. If I was playing a lot and I was tired, I'd sleep a little bit longer. If I was fresh and didn't feel like I needed to sleep much, then you know I might go for a walk or do something really light um, or just hang out. 
So, yeah. And then before the game, I uh, the probably one of the big things I you'd see a lot of goalies doing. Not everyone does them, and it's not saying you have to. But I would before my dynamic warm up, I would do a tennis ball routine mm. every day um, or every game day. And so I went through a series. I had a set series that I wanted to get through clean um, before every game. Um, and I think the trick here is you learn as you get older, like it's doing it perfect. Isn't going to mean you're going to play well or bad. Right. Um, it, to me, I finally realized like, okay, if I'm not feeling as crisp that day. I just need to focus a little more. I maybe even need to just settle in, calm down. Um, but it was a, it's kind of like a way to warm up my eyes. And so that That's was a big right. part. And so I just use a tennis ball. Some guys use other stuff. I like the tennis ball because it has like Wilson or pen on it and right. normally a number. Um, and so it gave me something I could focus on like spinning. Sometimes I try to read the number as it came off the wall, as it was spinning, I was trying to pick up which number wow. it was or pick up a letter on the word. So that my eyes were getting dialed in, my eyes were getting the warm up they needed. Then I went through my dynamic warm up, and for a long time I did a big, lengthy one. And then I got older, and you lose a little bit of energy as you get older. Yeah, for and sure. And I needed to keep that energy. Sometimes I was like, like when I was like twenty eight, twenty nine, I was like, man, like I'm already tired. <laughs> like the game hasn't even started yet. <laughs> That's, That's how old good. I am now. I'm feeling it too, man. Oh my. Yeah, you start to it just life change. Your body changes. <laughs> yeah, um, it does. And you have to learn to adapt. So then I actually I moved into instead of doing dynamic warm up with all like the high knees and lunges and everything, which mm-hmm. are fine. I did them for years and they're great. I just ran out of energy. Yeah. Um, then I moved into I actually did uh, a little bit of flow yoga mm. as my warm up. Um, it was a little less taxing, but it allowed me to loosen up, stretch, get a light sweat. Um, so that, that warm up was super important and getting a routine to where you feel like your body's ready to go and you're going to help prevent injury is huge. And then it was game time and then we were locked in. And so yeah. that was, uh, that's kind of my routine and I was a little bit lengthy but uh, no no it's perfect it's uh it's what everybody wants to hear man we want to know kind of your, your secret sauce as as we call it but maybe about you know we dive into big games and um you know having played at the nhl level uh, over 50 games um you know what's sort of your mental routine you, you talked about that your demco and just that um you know that kind of like moving on routine and and uh you know when you get anxious or something like that so what's sort of your you know, your, your game day routine to, or your anchor techniques that you use, like either internally or externally that kind of help you eliminate distractions regularly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one, one quick thing on my routine I forgot to mention is right before the game and I would do it. Um, uh, most of the time I'd actually do it between periods too. Mm. Um, but that same visualization that I did the night before, Cause it only takes, you know, three to five minutes. It can be, it can be pretty quick. Mm-hmm. I would do that before the game started. Um, and then sometimes I'd do it between periods. Um, and for me, it was just a way to kind of tell my, tell my mind like, all right, it's go time. Like, and right. so you have that extra visualization in there. So I would warm up my eyes. I'd warm up my mind and then I'd warm up my body basically mm-hmm. uh, with kind of the three, like three that. things I wanted to hit um, before. And then that visualization actually kind of goes into this question you just asked. Yeah. Um, and the routine itself goes into this question. So when the 
when it's big games and the stakes are high, um, having that routine that it allows you to not, you know, you're doing everything you can to prepare and you've put in the work in practice, you have a good foundation and having that routine gives you kind of something so you don't get lost in the moment right. where it was a big game and you kind of change your routine up all the time. Like you obviously, you might find yourself with five, 10 extra minutes and you're all of a sudden you're like, Oh man, like playing in the United center tonight and I can't hear myself think during the national anthem, <laughs> uh, you know, and you start thinking about that. Whereas right. if you have your routine, you're just like, all right, I did that. Now I'm going to do this. And right. It's all kind of uh, timed with bridges, right? With, the clock. Yeah. So it allows yourself, you're always doing something for me that allowed me to not think about necessarily how big the game is. And then even between periods of visualization gave me something to do for five minutes without thinking about what's happening in the game or like if you're losing or if you're up and it's a big game, you're not thinking about the stakes. You're just like, all right, I'm going to do some visualization real quick. So that was huge. I also think a big, big thing on, that I liked to do, uh, was between whistles. Um, I would, I would pick like a song, say there's a, a hit song on the radio yeah. that you like or something. And between whistles, I would just sing that. I, I'd <laughs> sing it to myself. Man, that's and, so funny. I did the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah. So when you're, when you're doing that, you're not focused as much on the crowd yeah. and the pressure of the game. Obviously, you're still taking in information on face-offs and yeah, what could sure. happen. But that, that, at this point, that stuff kind of comes a little more natural. But mm-hmm. the, the singing the song just gave you, you know, if something something happened, like, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to sing the song. Next right. play. Next play. Let's go. So it that, that was a kind of right? big thing for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. No, I love that, man. So, so finally, what's kind of your – after you get scored on routine, like what do you do physically and mentally to, to kind of turn the page? Um, I had keywords that I would use. Um, I use them a lot. I didn't use them just when I got scored on. Yeah. But, so these uh, are kind of like your anchors as well. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like anchors. Um, so every once in a while I'd say them, but um, mostly when I got scored on, it'd just be like, for me, I think it was focused, determined, alert, and then next shot mentality mm. so that was always where that was that next shot uh i i obviously you want to worry about your rebound control and all that stuff yeah. but if you don't stop that next shot you don't have to worry about the rebound because it's not there right. um uh so that was the, like that next shot mentality was big for me and then i also we had a mental skills coach um and he had a good one i i used i tried a little bit and i just liked the saying that i kind of had at the time so it was fine uh we were doing an exercise as a team but um he this i think would be good advice for some listeners someone might actually be able to find this useful um mm. this is a great little tip but he would say like find an object that you know is in every arena so say it's the american flag right right canadian flag um and look up at it and then have your anchor word so if you look at it you're like i belong you know like i i'm I belong here. Like I belong in this moment. Mm. When you see that flag, that's what you see that. Or if you look at your post or whatever, you can mm. be like, I, you know, I belong something like that. I have a keyword and that yeah. can kind of reset you uh, when things are going, going the other way. 
Yeah. No, I love that, man. And maybe we can just finally uh, end off. You know, it's called the Goalie Hacks podcast, and you've given everybody plenty of hacks. But what, maybe what's two of like your biggest hacks, like either drills or, you know, things that you did that uh, you fe- that felt like gave you an edge every single week when you did them, or the goalies that you share them with, like uh, your students that helps them find an edge in success much quicker. Yeah, I think the one which we talked about is the tennis ball hand-eye coordination stuff. Mm. Um, I think now you have Incense Arena and all that cool right. stuff. Um, it's changed quite a bit For sure. from using the tennis ball, but um, <laughs> these kids are lucky. They got all this technology. Um, yeah, man. But I think the off-ice hand-eye coordination training can be huge. Um, mm. I think it can be a little bit undervalued at times. But I think for a lot of young goalies doing that, like if you get your hand and eye, your hand eye dialed in, once you step on that ice, like you're already feeling it. Like, and you, you're just in the groove, like your hands, everything's working. Um, so I think that's something that a lot of young goalies can do more of. Um, and then on the ice, uh, one drill that there's probably two drills that I really like to do. Sure. Um, one is, especially when I was backing up and not playing a ton uh, mm-hmm. times, I would grab, if I if they were willing to do it, I'd grab, you know, the best shooter I could on the team and I'd line up five, five, eight pucks on the, just above the face-off dot, top of the circle, that dot lane on both sides, and then one directly in the slot that they're on the top of the circle. And I would, sometimes I'd do movement into it. Other times I would just, excuse me, I'd be in position. And I would tell them to shoot high or low, but like shoot to score, shoot to score. And I would challenge myself that if it was a high shot, so about two feet or so or higher, foot and a half or higher, that I wasn't going to drop. And it allowed me to really control how patient I was on my feet. It really made me focus on the release. So I couldn't guess. If I guess and I drop early and I shoot high, that's a you know, then I I failed my challenge to myself. So I challenged myself to be accurate on those. And I always felt that if I was once I implemented that drill, then you get into a game mm. and you have that extra patience, which is which we talked about earlier is huge. Yeah. So that's uh that's one simple drill. You only need one player, you don't need any coaches. Would you uh when you when you dropped earlier or you know what I mean, kinda failed in that moment did you have any kind of penalty for yourself uh i didn't um i mean you could you could make up one if you want um yeah for sure sometimes i would not really restart but um i would add a few more shots until Mm. i started getting it because there's days where you're just dropping early like it's it's inevitable like we're gonna get either some bad habits or or mine's gonna be running a little bit and we're gonna be guessing um So then I'd add some more shots. And then once I, you know, got through those um, and felt like I was really patient and on the puck, like you'll know if you're guessing or if you're on it. Um, And once you're on it, then you, you leave, you can leave, you can get off the ice or move on and do whatever, but you're in a good place with the patient side of things. And I think that's super valuable. The next hack drill wise would be a post integration because we use the RBH so much, right? And we talk about eliminating extra movements, right? So one example is if puck shot from the blue line, I drop into my butterfly, it goes just wide and it's sitting a foot or so off the goal line near the post. 
like an extra movement there would be goalies getting up, like rotating, getting up, getting into the post, and then realizing that it's there and then having to get back down in the RVH. Right. Right. So the, for me, the eliminating that extra movement and just rotating and going straight into my RVH without getting up first mm. is huge. So, but the post stuff is so, so important. So much of the game comes from the outside into around your posts. I'm not just talking RVH here too. I'm just talking overlap. Right. Uh, if you use a VH, you can do that. RVH. Um, but being organized, having good post organization entries, being crisp and clean because so much of the game comes from the outside and so much of the game works from the corners out or behind the net and out. And so if you're really good on your posts, so we do a ton of post work all year in Iowa and you can see once you start getting quick and accurate and now you're on time, how much easier the rest of the game around you becomes because we're not chasing. So those are kind of two hacks, one for patient feet, one for, uh, post play slash eliminating those extra movements yeah yeah i was gonna ask you earlier in the combo how you, how you kind of worked on that but uh, i'm glad we kind of touched on it a bit but uh coach you have any last words of advice for everyone listening that you feel passionate about sharing i uh, just uh i think we've touched on a lot of things but my, my biggest thing is just number one enjoy the game it, it's yeah. an amazing game doesn't matter what level you're playing at especially looking back like the hockey's awesome I there I do have a few memories of playing mm-hmm. that are great, but it's being around the my teammates and visiting different cities and yeah. countries and just being a part of the hockey community, working with little kids. So you really just enjoy it, take it all in, um, be patient in the ride, like enjoy each moment because they go quick and you can't get them back. So that's probably my my biggest thing for guys. And then lastly. Don't forget to be an athlete. Get out there. It's okay to take some time away from the ice. Do other things. Enjoy other sports. Be well-rounded in that regard. And it's going to transfer onto the ice more than you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Coach Backman, you know, thank you so much for for coming on the show, man. It really was a pleasure to to have you. Really excited for you with your new opportunity in Minnesota. And, uh, you know, love bringing on guys that have both that, that playing and coaching experience at the next level. I know today we'll just, you know, shed a ton of light on, you know, everyone listening, what it really takes to make that jump to the next level and find success uh, right away wherever they are in their journey. So can you just let uh, people know where they can get in touch with you online? Yeah, just uh, Bacher31. So it's uh, Is Twitter, that Instagram, Instagram or Twitter. Yeah, both. So, okay. yeah, B-A-C-H-E-R-3-1. Um, not the greatest social media person. Um, <laughs> but if you shoot me a message, I'll get back to you eventually. And then hopefully here in the near future, I might be um, transitioning that into more of the coaching side of things. Yeah. So definitely kind of stay tuned. And uh, hopefully throughout this season, I can get that side going and can share a few um, tips and drills and stuff with everyone. Yeah, well, absolutely. So go go check out Richard Bachman and, and all the mentioned links will be available in, in the show notes for everyone to check out if you're looking to connect with him. And we'll definitely keep our eyes open for, for when you go live. We'd love to kind of share all your stuff that you're putting out, man. Uh, you know, he, uh, he's experienced tons of success at the next level for, for almost 20 years now and, and still going strong. And I know him and his goalies have an incredibly bright future ahead of them. So uh, maybe somewhere down the road, we'll have you uh, back on the show, man, if that's something that interests you. All right. Well, thank you for having me here. I really appreciate it.
Yeah, well, I'm grateful for you coming on, buddy. Good luck as we roll through the summer and, and you take care, stay safe, and we'll chat soon, man. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode, Goalies. If you like what you heard today, make sure to hit that subscribe button as we have tons of amazing guests lined up ready to come onto the show in the next few months. And make sure to tune back into the show in two weeks and every other Tuesday from now on at 8 a.m. As next episode, I have the assistant coach of North Dakota coming on the show, Carl Gehring. That's right, college hockey's esteemed best program, and he's been there over a decade. He's coached at the AHL level, uh, and he gives us an inside look into ultimately what separates the good from the great uh, and an inside look into how to evaluate goalies or, or how he evaluates goalies and what they typically look for when conducting their scouting. And Carl is just obviously a super well-established coach who really knows his stuff and has been around and is super passionate about the game. Uh, had some great insight uh, in, in our conversation. I know you guys are going to love this one, so make sure to tune back next week. Without further ado, here are the giveaway details for our monthly giveaway we do for the Goalie Hacks podcast. And just as a note here, if you enter into this giveaway, even if you don't win, uh, we select four winners a month, and, and that includes books, uh, different products, training products, uh, neuro tracker subscriptions. We give away all sorts of things. We pick four people a month. And even if you don't win uh, one month, you're always entered into uh, the, the, future, the future giveaway. So to enter the giveaway, if you're an Apple user, simply go to the Apple Podcast app on your phone and leave us a written review and rating. And if you're an Android user, you can also download iTunes onto your computer and leave a review and rating on there as well. And once you leave a review of the podcast, just take a screenshot of it and either email it to goaliehacks at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram with your screenshot and your full name. Get excited, guys. Great things ahead. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show, and I'll see you in two weeks.